25 minutes where nobody is mean about the power of Kroll. Could there be such a thing? There could be, in happy times and places. Presented by me, Toby Haydock, trying to accentuate the positive about every single episode of Doctor Who I Watch, aided by a friend who's chosen their favourite thing about it, and I have to guess what that is. Hello, my name is Ian Winterton. I'm a playwright and writer and journalist, and I am picking The Power of Kroll from 1978. Well, welcome back, everybody. Because uh, I am your Ranquin, and you are my squid. Because <laughs> there was another song called The Power of Kroll, not Kroll, Love. Uh, at around that time there should be like equity shouldn't it where where you can't have two songs called the power of love out at around about the same time i remember at the time thinking that um jennifer rush and huey lewis could have had a conflab uh and uh, not both released a song with the same title hated the jennifer rush one at the time i'm rather fond of it now but was furious that somebody who sounded like an opera singer was number one for five weeks why have I remembered that? Uh, because I've been doing Power of Love slash Power of Crowell wordplay in the previous two episodes. And why not carry on where I left off? I've had a break since episodes one and two. And if anything, my week has got worse. Um, how much uh, professional rejection in one week is too much? Well, uh, I'm currently putting that to the test. But look, you have come here to escape uh, from whatever life is throwing at you and uh, I don't think it's fair to inflict what it's throwing at me upon you you can get enough of having things thrown at you and you are here uh, presumably to hear somebody wanging on about Doctor Who and I am going to wang on about episode 3 of The Power of Crawl, which I have to say on a pretty turdy day the other day um, gave me 50 minutes of plenty to think about and enjoy and I hope that episode three is going to do the same and it's not all going to fall to pieces. So uh, I'm going to press play in three, two, one. And I'm selecting on BritBox, which means the circly thing will go around for ooh, three. Ah, oh, here we go. So we are on episode three of The Power of Coal. Alexa, volume five. So we'll just uh, get the volume down a little bit. Uh, Alexa, volume four, I think even. Um, do you is she actually doing as I tell her? Is she listening to me at all? Alexa, volume four. Even Alexa is rejecting me. Is this attached to Alexa? I think it is. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll cope. We'll cope. Um, Alexa, volume four. There, see, the music was too loud. Who'd have thought that the best that modern technology has to throw, particularly something that is all about volume, uh, doesn't work when the volume is too high. And the only person that can turn down the volume is the thing that doesn't work. Anyway, let's not get into that. Because, but it's, it's, it's worth saying, though, isn't it? Because I've been sort of whinging a bit uh, in my head this week. But, you know, looking at uh, everybody who made the power of Kroll uh, in uh, 77, 78, whatever it was, um, uh, you know, they didn't have... You couldn't just nip to the shops and get an avocado, could you? Uh uh, you know, trains anywhere probably took four or five days. I think certain places you could only get there by horse. There was no pesto. I mean, come on. So it's 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 all relative. So before I decide that I'm getting too old, so old I'm gonna <laughs> sleep at the bottom of the swamp for two hundred years and just fart. Um, uh, I have to uh, grab life by the tentacles. Uh, in this case, watch the recap 
of the power of Kroll, um, where Kroll has woken up, uh, which is which is good news because you don't really want to send soporific signals to the audience. Uh, and I do take note of, you know, the, the, the fact that there is a lot of uh, John Leeson and Philip Maddock sitting around going, nothing's actually happening, which is not the best signal to send to an audience. I do like Harg being dragged down the pipe. Um, uh, I like all of this business. Oh, now I was thinking about Neil McCarthy. I think, now I think the, the, the Philip Maddock thing, I, I poo-pooed the idea a little bit. I, I mean, I think it's true that he... He thought he was playing Thorn or had been offered Thorn, um, at which point this became clear, uh, sort of varies. But, uh, you know, the, the, the original story, as told, was that he turned up on location expecting to be playing Thorn and said, oh, hello, Neil McCarthy. Well, are you playing Fenner then? And Neil McCarthy went, no, I'm playing Thorn. But really? I thought I was playing Thorn and was <laughs> perturbed to realise he was uh, playing the second in command uh, and, and immediately thought, well, I'd better make him grumpy. Um, uh, which is, you know, which is... It, that, and, and that was one of those things I think was even in a sort of fact file in an early Doctor Who weekly. So you sort of expect it to actually turn out to be not true, as a lot of things did that were sort of stories that uh, that stuck from those early days. But there seems to have been an element of, of, of truth in it. Um uh, although whether it was, but but it, it, certainly the timeline wasn't quite right in that Alan Browning was originally Fenner, so 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 um, Maddock was called in quite late in the day, and maybe that's where there was a, a miscommunication. But but thought, but Neil McCarthy definitely wasn't the only person offered Thorne either. He wanted Julian Glover, he wanted George Baker, so you know his his casting ambition, Norman Stewart was was very sound. Um, I love that line about the uh, the, seven, the the holy rituals um, and and the way that Carl Rigg delivers that line about uh, that one's not so bad. They just throw down, stick down, hold, throw rocks at you. I think it is a brilliant line, and he plays it very, very well. Um, he, uh, uh, I think he's he's not talked about often enough, uh, Carl Rigg. Um. Uh, oh, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm putting the subtitles on, so uh, there might be a slight pause. Ah. Um. Yes. So there might be a little bit of jiggery pokery there. Um. Uh, if if you're watching along, press pause for about ten seconds. Uh, I am currently watching. Uh. Tom Baker, Mary Tam, and Glyn Owen tied up by vines. How long does this take, says uh, Romana, to die? Depends upon the sun. Uh, and Rom Dutt talks to Scott, uh, who's played by Frank Jarvis, and also the only Doctor Who character named after a popular uh, 1990s VHS video cable connector opera. Uh, don't write in and say what other uses a Scott cable had. That's all I know them for doing. Um, uh there will be younger people listening to this saying, what is a cable? What are wires? Everything we have is connected by the internet, which is why it always breaks and doesn't work properly and, and annoys me. Um, but let's not get into the rigours of modern technology. Again, we're watching television from a time when, oh, God, they, haven't, they didn't even have answer machines. I mean, they're, they're primitives, uh, not just the swampies, but everybody in this compared to us. Uh, and yet, were they any... 
less happy. I doubt it. Anyway, um, this is this is uh, this this is where Robert Holmes is flourishing of his sort of cynical disdain for uh, religion, or at least those who abuse the power that religion gives them. I think is uh, is at its sharpest. Um, you know, Rank Rankin for all, and you know, he's brilliantly cast because they've 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 cast an actor who can do this sort of stuff and make it work. As he, you know, I mean, this is essentially what he does in Robin of Sherwood, except in Robin of Sherwood, it's not a joke. Uh, and I mean, I have a special relationship with uh, John Abenary. Um If you haven't. Uh, witnessed my one-man show Mothsate my Doctor Who scarf um uh John Abenary was an actor I just sort of started noticing things and I I knew he'd been in Doctor Who uh because I knew he was Carrington in Ambassadors of Death and that was featured in an early Doctor Who magazine that I had um but, but then I noticed him in uh Robin of Sherwood and it's a name that sort of sticks out uh, and he kept coming back because uh, I sort of assumed that Hearn and Hunter would only sort of be in the first episode, but, you know, he was always around in Robin Sherwood. Um, he actually does this stuff very well, this uh, uh, this sort of quite quiet and dour and dry scene, but he, uh, he has the gravitas to do it. He's a really good actor that was really valuable in, in the 70s because he can do... The kind of stuff that I'm not sure a lot of actors could could manage to pull off today. Um, it's that it's that sort of mixture between sort of declamatory, stagey stuff, but making it sort of seem real uh, and and not hokey. Um, although um, he then says lines like "Your mind is bent, Dryfoot." Absolutely, totally straight, and 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 is sort of funny. Oh, and the doctor's got a line about you can't hypnotize people with narrow narrow eyes. <laughs> so the whole thing. To get a bit of exposition out was the doctor trying to hypnotise him, which is a which is a witty way of you know of getting some of the uh, the, the the necessary dialogue out. Oh, the, the doctor wasn't doing it, so we all sit down and explain the plot to each other. He had a he had an ulterior motive. I like that. I think that's nice. Um, uh, but um, uh, so Abenary kept chop, cropping up on things, and then I remember getting very excited by a character called Van Lutyens in Fury from the Deep because I read about him in the Doctor Who magazine review of Fury from the Deep where it sort of gave away his fate which I was slightly annoyed by but I was just excited there was a character with a foreign name that seemed to be really grown up and, and uh, uh, you know the idea that uh, an, an important character would be somebody from overseas and that would fit that's multicultural crew and all that sort of multi multiracial crew and all that sort of thing I, that, that quite excited me and I sort of thought well, no, who would they have got to play it would they have got a genuine Dutchman and then I finally got hold of a Doctor Who program guide, and lo and behold, it was John Abenary, which then made sense because, well, no, he's—I don't think he, you know, he's got a foreign-sounding name, but he's—he's he's, oh, so he's probably got a foot in both camps, and that's very exciting. Um, uh, as it is, I think he just has some sort of accent, but he was multilingual, John, John Abenary. Um, he could speak Russian. Um, so anyway, he was just somebody that kept popping up, and then I—I I took a fancy to a girl at university, and we, we were ch chatting away as a, as a group actually. Uh, and Doctor Who popped up and she said oh my uncle's been in Doctor Who and uh, so, what's he called she said oh no you never have heard of him he wasn't a regular uh, he's called John Abenary and I went oh, he's my favourite actor I love him he's blah, 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 blah. and uh, eventually we had a little liaison uh, Rosie and I um, uh, but uh, oh I don't know timing and uh, taste on her parts 
scuppered anything long term. Um, but I'm very fond of her. And um, she actually got me a, a signed picture of her. I'd, I'd written to him by that point anyway and, and, and had an interview with him in Doctor Who magazine. Um, or actually, I think that I'd written to him prior to that, but the interview was published later. Um, so anyway, I, 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 and then I looked him up in Spotlight and he won an Emmy nominated for Last of the Mohicans. That's pretty good. Not, not many Doctor Who actors have an Emmy nomination. Uh, and then he pops up as the, uh, the butler in the uh, Ferrero Rocher commercial. He's even got a couple of lines in The Godfather 3. So yeah, big fan of uh, John Abenary. Um, so then I was quite surprised to see him play a part that hadn't really excited me much in the book. The Swampers didn't excite me much in the book anyway they're, they're difficult sorts of characters to pull off so i think the fact that they even vaguely work is is sort of down to the commitment of the actors really and some of the jokes in the script that didn't really communicate themselves to me in in, in the book certainly um but funny enough when i when i first watched this i was much more interested in these sorts of scenes uh, than i was in the in the swampy ones and actually i think uh I mean, you know, he's sort of squinting as we say, "Oh, what's what's going on here?" I, I really, because uh, because John Leeson, of course, is um, uh, I, well, he's not Martin Jarvis, who suddenly became unavailable, but he's also free because he's under contract for the whole of the season, uh, and K9 cannot be in the power of Kroll. So you suddenly got an actor who's being paid for. So you go, "Yay, hoik him in!" And as I say, I adore John Leeson for many reasons, and I, if if I if I had if I needed a a, a slightly uh, charmingly pedantic vicar to uh, put his foot in it uh, in, in a murder mystery uh, or even a sort of a, a sort of jester type character uh, to provide a bit of sort of levity and distraction uh, I would go for John Leeson somebody staring at a scanner screen uh, emphasising how terrifying everything is getting I, I am not sure I would tick those boxes in, in John Leeson's uh, spotlight book um but Neil McCarthy as Thorn. Um, I was thinking about him before I started this one because I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of what he does here. He doesn't do anything wrong particularly. He just doesn't quite um, work. But um, of course, he'd, he'd, he'd been in Who, Who Pays the Ferryman uh, around this time, in which he's excellent. It's a, it's a sort of drama set uh, on Crete uh, uh, and with, with Jack Headley, and it's, uh, it's really good. Uh, but but the sort of local Greek head of police is is played by uh, Neil McCarthy, and his accent is so good that it it uh, it convinced a lot of people he actually was, you know, he was he was local, he was a native, um, and it's a, it's a really good performance. So he was you know he was he was known at this time. Um, this this rain is good, and credit to the actors standing about in the rain. Well done, Carl Rigu has to wait till the end. Um, so I like the inhospitable locale. That's a nice shot of, of McCarthy sort of looking out of the window. It's pretend rain there, but uh, but uh, that's okay. It's okay. A really big daddy. They call it big daddy, don't they? And it doesn't I think I, I think uh, Philip Maddock calls it Jemima, doesn't he? he calls something Jemima. Um, but but there's oh nice little thunder effect. But it, the, the story has kind of ground to a halt a little bit here hasn't it because we've seen Kroll uh, but the, the Doctor and uh, Co have been tied up for quite a long time uh, it could go blow us all apart and that would be massively inconvenient and and oh, God, we, we'd, we'd have to probably call out 
somebody to change our tires. Um, so it's, oh, uh, oh, and the doctor's going to do something that might defy the audience. I mean, Tom, look at Tom Baker. He looks absolutely magnificent. He can... Uh, he, he can pull off this sort of thing. Uh, uh, he's going to shatter the glass, isn't he? Uh, with his, I mean, how do we feel about that, everybody? It's He's never done it before. Doctor Who has never done it before or since. Um, but it's, it shows a certain amount of ingenuity because it's not just that the glass has been shattered. The glass has been shattered in order to... Uh, 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 wet the vines and the wood and make everything contract blah, blah, blah. so it's a, so it's not just the one party piece it has a sort of knock-on effect uh, that works particularly to the jeopardy that they find themselves in but uh I, it's not like you could have seen that coming it's not like they've planted it earlier uh uh but um so i'm not i, I i'm not sure how i feel about i'm also less sure how i feel about tom baker's are they what are they those they galoshes. Is is that the top of his boots or the bottom of his trousers? It's a funny old setup there. Um, uh, come on then, off they go. So, yeah, there's I'm, I'm odd. I I was very much enjoying this yesterday. I'm, 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 I've I've given <laughs> I think two or three actor biographies. Oh, th now this is a bit more of uh, Romana because I've, I've watched the. Rebus operation the other day for an excellent podcast called um, A Wheezing Groaning Sound and and it struck me how much in Romana's first appearance she does all this sort of psychoanalyzing of the Doctor and putting him down with intelligence and long words and that was obviously a uh, a sort of character trait that they'd uh, decided she should have and that was, uh, she, she did it a little bit there about saying this is displacement anxiety um, Oh, oh, the, 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 oh, yes, and I'm sorry. The reason I paused was because uh, 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 the suggestion of Stephen Schapansky from Radio Free Scarrow. I've started putting the subtitles on the episodes because I sometimes have to stop and go, oh, I missed that line of dialogue. Um, whereas if I have subtitles on, uh, and actually I find myself increasingly watching stuff with subtitles these days anyway. Um, I, I remember um, I was in Edinburgh when uh, doing a show in Edinburgh when uh, uh, doing a weekend at the stand when the doctor's wife was on and i watched it uh, and enjoyed it and then i came back and watched it with my stepson um who i then lived with um who is deaf uh, and he hadn't seen it so we watched it together and of course we watched it with subtitles i understood it much better because i could hear some of the dialogue over the music um but that's that's the mixed stuff is mixed really oddly these days i can never see as technology gets better and better i don't think it got, i mean i you know in when this was on we had i'm i'm sure a portable black and white television that you had to twist a dial uh to get from channel to channel on um you know again we look at we're looking at this stuff and it doesn't look especially old-fashioned to me in the, in the way that it probably would to say my kids if they watch them the you know the, the, the mix of film to vt the the, the vt-ness of it lots of different things um would would look dated um uh but um but again you sort of put yourself in the position of 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 the people there you know a lot of the things that we take for granted uh are uh you know would be utterly alien uh and 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 yet you know 
and 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 that means the technology they were making it with was you know less than probably we have in our homes but that said that oh now tom's got much bigger longer boot things going on here he's got different i'd never noticed that before he's got very different boots on location to those he has in the studio those he's got boots going up to his uh, i was going to say ganglion <laughs> the top of his thigh um um uh but uh, but the modern technology we, we have i mean i'm doing this i'm doing you know i'm broadcasting uh using my my telephone essentially i mean i've got a decent mic and stuff like that but but the idea that you could put stuff out there without somebody at the bbc liking you or whatever uh i uh, know i like i like this bit um uh, because because again fenner showing that he's not he's not a completely uh unpleasant character you know uh, uh and and he's you know he's using his reasoning these they they they're not being because they've done a lot of sitting around uh unfortunately neil mccarthy do have probably yeah i he he doesn't quite get i don't i don't think he gets that line quite does he, he i thought he fluffed it but he didn't seem like he fluffed it there but he 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 he, he, he doesn't quite get the line give the line the meat that it needs there really considering it's piggybacking on on maddox saying the swampies have got some problems but i really like fenner going look i don't really like the the swampies but he's not wild about the idea of them all being eaten by a, a giant squid he's got a fantastic face uh, uh neil mccarthy he had acrimalgy is it the, 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 i mean an archaic term is giantism isn't it but apparently casey manning told me he was he was among the funniest people that she she ever worked with um a, a real sort of gentle dinosaur cliche i hope it's not a pejorative term now a, a sort of gentle giant but uh uh and of course he's in he's in zulu which is one of my favorite films he's the he's the he's the uh he's one of the welsh uh guys and he's uh uh and he's one of the ones that gets to go on location because not all the actors in zulu are actually out, out there on location lots of them that stay in the hut um i love this uh I, I never got to go to south africa but let's i'll i'll do a podcast on zulu so that's the end of uh glenn owen the the plot had kind of run out of what to do with glenn owen uh but it's the doctor being very uh cold which tom baker can be which always surprises me and i'm not sure i like but that was the doctor that i grew up with but i did none of that really registered with me it was only when i rewatched when i was older i mean i watched full circle i remember full circle but i don't remember him being quite so dismissive of vash's death as he actually is uh, in in the episode and that sort of you know that thing with rome dot of well i told him not to move i love the the ground getting sucked underneath i i don't even know how they did that i think that's terrific finally this episode has started to sort of pick up a bit and uh, and i think it's the end isn't it so basically we haven't seen kroll for the whole episode even though he woke up last week uh so that i think that i i think critics of this story you know might use episode three as an example of well everything does grind to a halt a little bit uh but i think that's terrific now i think the version that we have now that's philip bird he's he's in he's brilliant in um in the sapphire and steel with the photographs as the, the faceless guy and he's had a wonderful career i've seen him do shakespeare uh, still working uh, and I sort of know Philip a little because I did him for Who's Round because it was very hard to get people for Pair of Crawl. So I, I got one of the extras, but he's an extra who's had an amazing career. But Philip Philip should really have, have had a credited part in Doctor Who by now. But this is very, very early in his career. And uh, and it was because he was sort of local, I think. 
uh, but then they he did such a good job they sort of take him to the studio he's a lovely man Neil but uh, uh, Philip uh, but he's had a he's had a superb career still going strong um, uh, uh, but uncredited in this because he is an extra um, poor old John Leeson's right at the bottom of the credits even though it just goes to show you know good parts in those days that you know uh, it's, it's worth turning up whoever you are well, I think Frank Jarvis may have been slightly annoyed because he doesn't get to do an awful lot and spends the whole thing green. Um, uh, but um, I think that shot, that, that the shot of Kroll, I, th I think, is is probably because I, I think Brickbox has been has been given some fairly decent prints, and and I think there was some work done uh, for the for the DVD to. Uh, you know to maybe re reduce the harshness of the line between the the horizon and crawl which is a big fault with that that whole shot and it was you know it was the big it's the it's the big heart-rending compromise when you've got a great location uh that's lovely stuff of the doctor and the boat and the and the water and you've got the fantastic that that, that model of crawl is excellent Nobody talks about how good that model of Kroll is. It's an absolutely fantastic model, and it's got water, and it's it's got texture, and it's got it's got um, you know it's 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 moist. It's organic looking. It's a decent size. It's got lovely detail. It doesn't look like a, a, a puppet, but it's all ruined by the fact that uh, nobody can quite get over the fact that it's obviously the camera has you know, sort of shut off the horizon and there's that big sort of line where the grass cuts off and crawl in a you know in Ealing studios is, is sort of transported in but I think that the actual model of crawl is magnificent um but that's already been chosen by Ian last week uh so um do, do you know uh, do you know what my favorite bit is <laughs> Do I have to be honest? Well, I'm not going to win this. And you know what? Sometimes it's just all about... Yeah, do you know what my favourite bit is? It's a line. And it's the delivery of the line. And it's the existence of the line. Which there's no way Ian is going to choose it. But it always tickles me. And it's partly because it's funny. But it's partly because it's funny and played very straight. So it's sort of, I could just be choosing another actor, you know, but I, I try and resist that. Um, I think it's Varlick's line about, you know, when they go through what the different death rituals are. And she says, what's that one? And he says, oh, they just, why is it? They just throw you, stick you in a pit and throw rocks at you. I think he delivers it brilliantly. I think it's very, very funny. Uh, and I've always liked it as a little moment. And you know what? Sometimes small, beautiful things is what Doctor Who is all about. Um, and in an episode where, as I said, I think I slightly struggled there, um, which is which is why you got uh, My Life with John Abinari by Toby Haydoke. Um, uh, you know, yeah, I like Fenner's reaction to the fact that Kroll's moving towards the Swampies, but but it's um, it's a it's a it's a fairly static episode that and and the big sequence of uh, which is quite fun because Tom Baker's so good and I like the bit where he tries to hypnotize Rankin especially the payoff of that that's quite good I could have chosen that bit um, but especially as that sort of got out of with a kind of cheat of going oh okay the doctor can opera sing his way out of this <laughs> actually even saying that I kind of like that <laughs> saying it out loud enunciating it makes it sound rather fun um, and Tom Baker is on very good 
form in this, I think, in in a kind of Tom Baker swaggering around rather confidently daring anybody to give him a directorial note. <laughs> um, but I am... Do you know what? I don't care. I am go- I'm, I'm not going to win this one anyway. I'm going to choose Valik's line about the, the holy ritual where you gaff, they throw rocks at you and, and Carl Riggs delivery of it um, just because I like it. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I doubt there'll ever be uh, anybody making notes and... Uh, 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 making an official history of happy times and places and and uh, one day somebody reading what I chose for episode three of Power of Crawl going, did he really? I can't believe it. So I'm going to live in the moment and go, I like that bit. Uh, what has Ian chosen? Ian, by the way, on the video, uh, the video will come out much later than the audio. Um, but I do do video versions of these if you want to go on YouTube and, and have a look to see what absolute state I'm in because uh, it's the end of the day and I'm just wearing I'm just loafing about and brush my hair um, Ian is wearing a, a shirt not unlike one my mum gave me when I was about 16 and I've still got because they made things to last in those days in fact I've probably still got some clothes uh, that were made at the time that the power of Kroll was on and I don't think any of my newer clothes that are made around the time I'm doing this will still be around in 40 years but that is another uh, uh, comment on the fact that highfalutin new technology actually isn't all that, and so maybe I need to I need to connect with my inner Swampy. Anyway, um, oh, there was that guy called Swampy, wasn't there? Who was the uh, the eco uh, eco warrior fella? Um, I, I remember <laughs> my friend Francis is an actor. Do we were doing a talk at the Royal Exchange after a show once, and somebody oh we'd do a Midsummer Night's Dream, and Puck was dressed a bit like a, a sort of. Uh, an eco warrior and uh and swampy came up for some reason francis uh said oh yeah yeah that swampy died we went no really he said yeah 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 uh, he had a heart condition they offered him a bypass and he wouldn't accept one uh, <laughs> a lovely joke um uh but i wonder if swampy's name was influenced by the fact that the swamp is anyway um you might not even know who i'm talking about he was an eco warrior that was protesting uh against uh the extension of I'm presuming some sort of bypass. The the, it, the the details are lost to me because I remember things like which extras are in the Power of Kroll. Right, what's Ian chosen? I said more in the post-Power of Credits of Power of Kroll, I think, that was of any value than I did through the whole of the episode. Uh, I don't know what that says about it or me. Uh, right, Ian! Uh, I'm, 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 I'm boring you to death with the eighth holy ritual of tedium. Ian has chosen something that's going to take him 59 seconds to say. For episode three, I'd have to go for the execution. I love Robert Holmes um, for the way he the way he seems to come up with uh, some pretty grim executions, considering this is a uh, family show. Um, it's up there with the death by steam um, in uh, in the Sunmakers. Um, but yeah, having having the doctor and his friends on a rack um, where plants are drying out in the sun and stretching their spines till they snap. It's pretty brilliant. I remember being kind of, uh, kind of thrilled in that way. Little boys are by, by death and pain. Um, But yes, although it does seem to me that it's a very stupid execution not to have a guard on, but the swamp is a, too trusting in their gods 
as we see. Now, that, as you see, there was me going, oh, there wasn't much to talk about that episode, and I couldn't see the wood for the swampies because it is an excellent execution. Thank you to him for pointing that out. And I think it's, it's weird because it's never really grabbed me that scene, but, but partially, I suppose, because I know, oh, well, they're going to get out of it. But that's the case with all Doctor Who, isn't it? And it is actually an ingenious uh, way of dispatch. Um, and it's obviously well conceived and thought, thought through. He obviously quite likes the detail of sort of torture, but it is also a bit like I'm going to leave you with the slow moving laser beam, uh, and uh, you know you you will die soon, but I will not be here to witness it. Which uh, you know, so in a way, Robert Holmes could be saying, "Yes, I know that, and I'm doing it as a joke." And then you go, "Ah, oh, but uh, you know, how far should the joke go before?" It's too jokey uh, to, to then be believable jeopardy. But um, I do think it's an ingenious thing. And I didn't mention in, is it in episode one where Rome Dutt De- De- talks about the worm that sort of burrows into your ankles and eats its way out of your brain. He loves all of that sort of thing. That, again, just gives a little bit of colour, a little bit of peril. I always like it in Doctor Who when the environment is perilous because that's just a nod to the fact that you just don't turn up somewhere where it's a bit like this, but everyone's got different hats on. And I think especially in the 60s, you know, you know, jungle planets are deadly for example and all of that so, and I, I like all of that the fact that the idea that, that you know just just landing somewhere could get you killed because uh, we may have worms and blue tits but you know they've got you know burrowing creatures and uh, you know thorns that turn you into deadly plant things and oh, I love all of that um, so I should have concentrated more on uh, the stretching on the rack than I did on uh, actors CVs and my parts uh, therein but uh, that's why this process is quite useful because uh, I, I, because of Ian's contribution, I have a, a newfound respect for something that was hiding in plain sight. I've seen this episode loads of times. I, I know that bit, but actually being sort of having a sort of mental nudge about it, you go, oh, no, that is that is good and that is fun. And that's why hopefully we revisit these things and hopefully listening to me blathering on might remind you of something uh, uh, that you'd noticed but hadn't thought about last time you saw it, or whatever. But for whatever reason you're here, and I'm sure it's not to listen <laughs> about how terrible my week's been, um, that has been part three of The Power of Kroll. I hope it wasn't too much of a of a stretch. Um, uh, and uh, I'm going to see and speak to you um, in part four. Uh, where, where, wherever you reach for me, I'm go- I'm going to do all that I can. I, I wish I knew another line from the Jennifer Rush song to have ended with. Bye. Well, thank you for listening to Happy Times and Places on the Power of Kroll or Squid You Like, uh, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest. Ian Winterton, who can be found on Twitter at Ian Winterton and online at ianwinterton.co.uk. I would like to thank him and the various patrons of this podcast, who include Gary Wales, Adam Westwood, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, Andrew Willis, Andrew Wilson, Stephen White, Ruben Herfendahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, not that one, Richard Straw, Nick Tedston, David. David, two Davids whose surnames have been withheld for, I think, their own street cred. Jenny and Box 99, Paul Carrington, Paul Cook, Richard Chalk, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Dunford Kelk, and Paul Dunn. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. 
Uh, if you would like to join their number and be a patron, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where there are advanced releases. There is bonus material. Uh, there are pictures of my dog and there's a chance to interact as well. And the tears start from as little... I notice they're called tears. That's what you cry when you realise what you're in for. Uh, the tears start at £3 per month and go up to infinity. But uh, for, for the £3, you get most of the things that are available to patrons uh, and you know, certainly access to any any material that comes out. Uh, and the patrons are currently about five months ahead. Um, so, you know, when they're listening to the Power of Quell podcast, oh, we, we still have petrol, uh, <laughs> uh, fish, there are still fish, um, and uh, we're still just about clinging on to civilization so uh just imagine uh you could have you could have you could have been listening to this when when the street you live on wasn't being raised to the ground by the dystopian society that we're all going to end up in or sorry currently you are now consigned to so there's a cheerful thought um and what else do you want to do to get yourself through life in a dystopian society apart from support a blathering uh, independent artist which i think is a very generous way of describing myself uh, a, a rent a renter gob um which is me toby haydock at patreon.com forward slash toby haydock or ko-fi.com forward slash toby haydock if you prefer not to uh, be obligated to do something every month and just would uh, occasionally like to do uh, a bit of drive-by shekel chucking uh, into my hat uh so yeah that's uh, those are the ways that you can fund uh these podcasts uh, but if you cannot uh what costs you nothing is to go to itunes or wherever you get them uh and to leave a five-star rating and a positive review that really does help it warms the cockles of this old man's heart so uh, i'd be grateful for that and it costs you nothing but a bit of your time and perhaps some exercise of your typing fingers i'm also a uk-based stand-up comedian i've run a comedy club called excess malarkey uh, every week for the past 25 years it runs on a non-profit making basis not because it's an incompetent business model but because we like to bring the best comedy to uh, everybody um uh, you know as affordably as possible so uh, we do that every tuesday um you know with with a very low door charge and that is at 8 p.m at the breadshed in manchester uh, it's me and uh, four or five comics from the uh, comedy circuit we also have an online version because we started doing that during uh, the lockdown in place of the live shows and people liked it and it increased our reach and it means that we get comics from all over the world uh, and that's on the first sunday of every month at twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey that is free uh, we do encourage uh, donations if you can give them but again you don't have to and it's just good for us that we're reaching out and putting a smile on people's faces at least sadly only now once a month uh, online just because uh, well real life has uh, crept in and um, and uh, before the streets are consumed in fire uh, i uh, you know I, I pick my way through the future debris uh, in order to actually appear in person on stage uh, that's Excess Malarkey Comedy Club. It has a website, Excess Malarkey uh, dot. Oh, I don't know if it's com or co dot uk, but it's one of those two. And it's on Twitter at Excess Malarkey as well. And it's an X and an S and the word Malarkey. Check it out. I'm very, very proud of it. And it's good natured and fun. <laughs> Uh, 
I didn't mention Glyn Owen's just been eaten by a tentacle. I didn't... Ah, there's so much I could have said about Glyn Owen. I actually wrote his obit for The Guardian because I rang them up when he died and it was in the early days of me doing obituaries and got somebody at the end of the line who said, oh, yeah, OK, do that. So I just duly sent it in a couple of days later. They rang up and said, why have you sent this? And I said, because I spoke to a lady on Sunday and I called on a Sunday and I should have thought... Um, anyway because actually you can always get somebody on a Sunday now it's Saturday it's harder to get people but anyway let's not get into that and and they said no we commissioned one off somebody else and I just went oh okay then I should have went well hang on you did ask me to do it um so I, I spent two days writing something that I got that I didn't get, and I think that computer went kaput now so I don't even have a copy of it oh and it'll be in, in my emails anyway uh, I could put that on my Patreon. no that would be here's something that never got published about somebody who's been dead for 15 years but uh, he was a bit of a cult figure with me and my friend Adam Riches, who is now an extremely successful uh, Edinburgh award-winning comedian, uh, TV and film actor. But I used to act in plays with him and we used to giggle about old movies and stuff. And we watched an episode of The Professionals together that uh, had Glyn Owen as this sort of uh, this old mentor of Bodie and Doyle, who were the sort of hard men in The Professionals. They're the leads and, and they were doing a sort of workout with him. And he was, you know, with one flick of the wrist, karateing them into, into sandbags and things like that, even though he was, you know, He's clearly, he, there was clearly a glass of whiskey. He's, he's the sort of actor, Glyn Owen, who will, you know, whenever he's not in shot, will swig a glass of whiskey. And then when he is in shot, will swig a glass of whiskey to, to, to punctuate his acting. Uh, and, you know, he'd, he'd do this sort of judo that he was clearly not capable of. And I'd go, uh, you're good lads, but I'm better. Because uh, he was this sort of grizzled old veteran. And there's a, there's a brilliant bit where he goes into his flat and he thinks, you know, he can tell that somebody's been in. So, you know, he, he dives, behind, dives behind the sofa in that sort of professional's way and comes up from behind it, you know, uh, alert and ready, even though, you know, he's wearing a cravat and a safari jacket and, and he's clearly, you know, one step away from the decanter. It's a glorious thing and he's a TV type uh, and I adore him. He once sang, I think, Old Man River on Wogan as well. Everyone... Uh, gets out Paul Shane uh, singing uh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling, but I'm sure they had Glenn Owen singing Old Man River. N- never when an actor sang on Wogan, I think, was it a was it a good idea. Anyway, oh, the stories I could have told about Glenn Owen, but I didn't because I was probably rabbiting on about something else. Um, so instead, you have it for your pleasure if you are one of the few disciples of the post-credits blather, which is what this is, which is now finished. But uh, if you could seek out the Glenn Owen episode of The Professionals, I think it is a thing of joy. He has a line where he goes, going to get a paper, uh, <laughs> which I don't know why it makes me laugh. He's in the car with them and they stop off at a you know, news agent. So I'm going to get a paper. Uh, and you can play a drinking game where you drink whiskey every time Glenn Owen drinks whiskey and anything. I, I just imagine him always drinking whiskey. Uh, anyway, I'm going to go now. I'm going to get a paper. Um, and uh, I hope you like this because uh, you're good, but, but I'm better. Uh, <laughs> uh, God bless him. Um, well, there we go. Um, uh, bye.